turn to Matthew 27. Praise God. I wonder how many people really grasp and understand the significance of what Jesus did for us uh, through his crucifixion and resurrection. And we recall last week where we discussed um, what was what is now called Palm Sunday and how Jesus triumphantly and victoriously uh, came into Jerusalem. And now we're going to look at the events uh, following that, which obviously is discussing his crucifixion and ultimate resurrection, which is the most glorious part of, uh, of the season, if you will. So starting with Matthew 27, and I want to just go to verse, we'll just start up at verse number 33. The previous scriptures uh, talks about where the, uh, the crowd, if you recall, I said to you last week that on Palm Sunday, quote-unquote, when he came into Jerusalem, the crowd was screaming, Hosanna, and so blessed be the name of the Lord, etc., etc. And I said to you last week that that very same crowd were the same people that would be cheering and calling for his death and, and crucifixion. And the previous verses, prior to 33, um, verse 33, talks about how he was examined before Pilate, and the crowd, given the choice between Jesus and Barabbas, they chose for Barabbas. Barabbas the, Barabbas, the murderer. So that very same crowd who was cheering for Jesus turned on Jesus and said, no, give us Barabbas instead. And that's kind of the way of the world. You know, they'd rather have the bad things in the world than to have the good things of the world. And then the scriptures move forward. It talks about his, his trial. And the trial, of course, was illegal because under Jewish nor Roman law, uh, you cannot try a person at night, etc., etc. And so then we get now in verse 33 where it talks about the actual crucifixion. So I want to start with verse 33 and it says there and when they were come unto a place called Golgotha that is to say a place of a skull they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall and when he tasted it uh, he would he would not drink and they crucified him and parted his garments casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet they parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots and sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head uh, had his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by him by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyed the temple and builded it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. So at this point here, they were mocking Jesus. They were mocking the, the, mocking the Son of God, mocking God himself, and saying, if you're so powerful, why don't you just come down and, and save yourself? You know, we kind of see that today also, where uh, Christianity is being mocked in many, many corners. It, it, it uh, has no place. It has no relevance, if you will. You see? But uh, these people just did not know the plan that God was unfolding. They had no idea what God was working on here. Verse 41 goes on to say, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. 
If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Okay, so here again, there's a condition. You know, if you come down from the cross, then I'll believe you. You see, and that materializes and manifests itself so much in our lives, because many times when we are praying and wishing for something and wanting for something, many times we'll put a condition on God. And we'll say, God, and you may not even realize it, but it'll be like, boy, you know, if God could just demonstrate his power, if God could just demonstrate that he's here, then I will do so and so then I will believe then I will have faith well no it's not that way at all it doesn't work that way you know man man in his fallibility still has this desire if you will to bring God down to him it's much easier for us to say gee whiz God if you will just show this to me then I will do this well that's not faith that is not faith. You see, God wants us to come up to him, not to try to bring God down to us. Us, Okay, so the same way they said, if you will do this, then we will believe you. All right, now, none of us has actually seen Jesus. None of us was there to witness the crucifixion or the resurrection. None of us has actually seen God. You see, so how do we know? How do you, how do you deal with the things that are going on in your life? How do you deal with the stresses that go on in your life? How do you deal with the temptations that come into your life? Amen? Amen? Because you know that God is God. You know that God exists. You know the work that God did, that Jesus did on the cross. You know the work that God did through Jesus on the cross. And you simply have the faith. You have the faith. You believe, you believe everything that the word of God tells. You believe when God says that I will intervene in your life. I am here. I have your back. I will make all bad things go away. I will watch over you. It is through faith. We don't say to God, God, if you just show up in front of my door, if you stand at the foot of my bed, then I'll believe you. Because that's what they, that's what they did here. That's what they did here. Amen. Amen. They did not believe. Even though in spite of the fact that they had seen many, many signs, there were many signs and wonders that Jesus had worked. I mean, they were there to witness these things. Yet still, they would not believe. Amen? So then it continues, and it says, uh, uh, verse 43, He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also who were crucified with him cast the same in, in his teeth. Now, from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So if you look at the, the uh, way that the time was back then, the sixth hour would have been 12 noon, looking at where, where daytime started um, in, in their world then, 12 noon till about 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. In the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabach thani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now at this point in time, Jesus was beginning to experience the separation from God the Father. Jesus had always been with God the Father. John, 1 said, John says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Amen. So Jesus never knew separation from God the Father. So at this point in time, he was beginning to feel the separation because the sins of man were being placed upon him. God cannot look upon sin. So even at this point in time, God the Father had to turn his back, had to look away from Jesus. So Jesus was experiencing something that he had never experienced in all of existence, all of eternity. And he's saying there, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now if you put a bookmark there, because I just find it so fascinating, put a bookmark here, and let's go to Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 22. Psalm 22. 
You know, I always love to to uh, refute those that say the the Bible doesn't make sense and it it doesn't hang together and there are inconsistencies and and so forth. And the word is so eloquently written that it's by the master hand, by the master planner, by God Himself, uh, and and dictated to man. Uh, Psalm 22, and you look at the very first verse. Now, the book of Psalms uh, was penned over a period of time, and we're talking, oh, approximately the 10th century, starting in the 10th century B.C. So you're talking about, what, 1,000 years before Jesus. Now, Jesus is uttering these words, why, you know, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, written roughly, okay, some 1,000 years before. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent. But there are those same words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see? So Jesus, everything that Jesus did up until to the crucifixion, of course, and then after, was, was, was fulfilling what was prophesied. So go back to the uh, book of Matthew now. So, so he's, he's actually saying the very same words that was quoted there uh, in the book of Psalms. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, so many times... I mean, I won't say digress, so just pull away for a moment here for a minute. But relative to that, so many times in our lives, especially when things are going really, really challenging for us, how many times have we felt, if you're honest with, you, with yourself, how many times have you felt that God is not there? Then be honest with yourself, you know. And I'm not looking for a nod of heads or affirmation, but just ask yourself that how many times have you felt that God had, had, had deserted you, you know. I mean, when you say your prayers at night or in the morning, you know, you don't oftentimes hear, you know, a, a, a booming thunder with God's voice saying, I am here, I have heard your prayer, I have answered it, okay. And many times when the devil starts putting so much pressure on you for whatever negative thing is going on in your life, and you don't hear that answer back, you may start thinking, well, gee whiz, God, where are you? You know? I've even heard people say in the time of real tragedy and whatnot, God, where were you? Where were you? You know, and they start to blame God for those things that may have gone wrong in their eyes. All right? God has not deserted you. God does not desert you. God is with you always, and he is always there. You see? So, so, so do not feel ever that God has forsaken you or that God is not aware of your situation. You know, you merely have to be, for, be, be, be in prayer with him and believing and keeping faith that he's going to bring to pass whatever that thing is that you're praying for, regardless of how difficult or impossible it may seem at the time. I've had things in my life where I would lay awake at night or, or during the course of the day and I'm looking at this particular Goliath of a problem and I'm searching my mind and looking at every possibility of how it could be solved and I don't have an answer. Well, if I had the answer, I'd go on and solve it, obviously. You see? So, so many times we feel that, gee whiz, this is a practice in futility. I'm not going to get a solution to this problem. God, why have you forsaken me? God does not forsake his children. Everyone in this sanctuary are born-again Christians. You're born-again believers, which means that means that you've been sealed with Holy Spirit. Jesus abides in you. Holy Spirit is in you. So God certainly has not forsaken you, cannot forsake you. Amen? According to his word. Amen? So then we continue here in verse number 47. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calls for Elijah. 
And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elijah will come down to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the spirit, yielded up the spirit. Now it says there, yielded, yielded, which means that Jesus gave up the ghost. Man could not have taken his life. Jesus said that if he wanted to, he could pull down, he could call down a legion of angels. He could have defeated every, every single person that was coming against him. You know, you know the, the, the Pharisees, the, 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 the army of the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, he could have destroyed them all. Amen. Jesus willingly yielded. He yielded up the spirit. He gave up the spirit. Verse number 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. From the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints that slept were raised, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. The operative verse there, though, is in verse number 51. I'd like you to highlight it or put a bracket around it if you don't already have it so highlighted, because it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The minute that Jesus gave up the ghost, the minute that Jesus died, the veil in the temple. The veil was a heavy curtain. If you look at a, a picture of, of the temple, it had three parts to it. Okay, there was the outer court, there was the inner court, and then there was the innermost part, or the Holy of Holies. All right? Man could go into the first two sections, all right? but that last section, the Holy of Holies, was protected by a heavy curtain. No man could go in there. In there was the Ark of the Covenant all right, and, and the, the mercy seat. And no man could go in. The only one that could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year. And that was to, to cleanse the people of the sin. All right? And even then it was so holy that the high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope around his ankle and his garment had a, had a, a, a number of little tiny bells sewn around the hem of his garment. So that as he walked you could hear him moving. If when the priest, high priest was in there for some reason, he was to die, he was to die, all right, the plan was that they could pull his body out by the rope that was around his ankle. So that Holy of Holies was nothing to be played around with. This is where God was residing. But man did not have access to that. But once a year, and that was only the high priest. When Jesus died, that veil or that curtain was ripped in two. It was torn in two and it came down, which signified that now man had access to God. Man did not need a high priest, one man to go in to, to relieve him of his sins, you see. And that is carried on today in some circles where you go before a man to absolve you of your sins. Man cannot absolve you of your sins. Jesus is the only one that can cover you, cover your sins. Amen? Amen? So when the veil was ripped in two, that was symbolic of saying that now, because of what has done here, been done here, the price has been paid and God said, now you have access to me through one high priest. And that high priest is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the only high priest. We don't do Passover. We don't acknowledge any of that. Jesus Christ is our, is our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen? So then he goes on to say also here, very interesting, is that the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints that slept were raised and came out of the, out of the graves after the resurrection. You see? So after Jesus was born, because Jesus was the first born again, if you will, 
Okay, after that time were others seen, okay, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Verse number 54 goes on to say, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. When the, when the, uh, when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named, named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there, and there were Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. You see, so the plot still continues to go on. You know, they weren't satisfied at getting Jesus to the cross, which was their whole thing. And if you remember the reasons that uh, they, uh, they, they, they crucified him also, was because, as I was saying last week and the week before, is that during Jesus' ministry, he spoke a word that those Pharisees had never heard before. Those scribes and Sadducees were becoming very, very uncomfortable. They sat in the choice seats in the synagogue. They stood on the prayer on the corners praying in loud voices to be seen by men. They would give and give and tell the whole world, look what I did. They would do things and look at me, look at me, look at me. It was all about them. So they held places of very high esteem, quote unquote, in the community. So now that Jesus was taking all of this away from them in terms of look to God the Father, I am the Son of God, they were very, very upset about that. And that's where the whole plot really came from. They were saying that Jesus was speaking blasphemy. That his word should not even be listened to. And as, as Jesus' word spread and, and Jesus' ministry grew and people were following him more and more, these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees became exceedingly jealous. They had to stop this. Because it was causing not only spiritual or religious unrest, it was causing, quote-unquote, political unrest. Jesus was a maverick. He was speaking a word like no man had heard before. So they couldn't stand for that. So this was how they got him to the cross. During, during the trial and the whole thing with, choose, with choosing Barabbas, there were agitators in the crowd that were saying, you know, crucify Jesus, get, you know, let Barabbas go free. A murderer. All right? So this whole thing was to get rid of Jesus, to get him to the cross. Now that they got him to the cross and they crucified him, they still were satisfied. They still weren't satisfied. You see, there was still this thing that was nagging them, okay? It, it, it was nagging them because they said, the next day the followed up the preparation, the chief priest and Pharisees came together to Pilate, sir, we remember that that, that deceiver that liar, that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore, Pilate, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, unless his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people he is risen from the dead so the last error shall be worse than the first Pilate said unto them you have a watch go your way make it as sure as you can so they went and made the sepulchre sure sealing the stone and setting a watch so here again they're trying to um, 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 invalidate invalidate the deity of Jesus 
the power of Jesus. They still wanted to make it look like, you see, he was a phony, you know. But still, something must have been nagging in the back of their minds, you know. Well, gee whiz, you know, what if, big if, what if he does rise again? What if his body does disappear, you know? Something must have been nagging back there because they said, making sure because this deceiver said that he, he would rise again, but the way he's going to do it is that his followers are going to come and steal the body. So therefore, if they steal the body, yeah, it'll look like he rose again. So they were still, again, very, very nervous, even though Jesus was, quote, unquote, dead. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. 28, chapter 28, verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Please underline that. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Please underline that. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. So they're saying, why are you seeking Jesus in this dead place? He's not here. He's not here. Go forth to Galilee where you indeed shall see him. You see, you know, you know, you see, Jesus is alive. We don't seek Jesus in a dead place. Jesus is indeed alive. And that is a part of our faith system. We know that he sits at the right hand of the Father, that he resides in you and I. Amen. Amen. Galilee and there you shall see him. Now, when they were speaking. Oh, I'm sorry. Um. And they departed, verse number 8, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. Didn't say they walked, but they ran to bring the disciples uh, word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. Please in the line, Jesus met them. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders, they had taken counsel, they gave much money to the soldiers. On the line that they gave much money to the soldiers. In other words, now, this thing had happened, all right, their plot you know, to put the soldiers there to keep a watch on Jesus. Jesus somehow still got away. So now they're going to bribe the soldiers. You see, they're going to, to make them lie, tell them to lie, to, 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 um, to, to keep the truth from being known. You know, and we see that still so much happening today. We see lies being sown to keep the truth from being known, you see. But we as children of God who know what the truth is, I don't care who says what, we know that Jesus is Lord, we know that Jesus died for our sins, we know that Jesus was resurrected to overcome all darkness and sickness and the dominion of death that, 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 that was over us, you see. But yes, so there will be those today in the 21st century who will try to lie to, to keep down the truth. 
You see? And they tried, tried to bribe. So they tried to bribe the soldiers, telling them to keep quiet. Verse number 13 says, saying, say, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. Now, now the, and what gets me the audacity of, of this is that in their minds, in their heart of hearts, they knew that something had happened. They knew. Okay? They could not explain it. Yes, still they want to perpetuate the lie, perpetuate the, 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 the political things uh, of their lives. At all costs, they had to invalidate everything that Jesus was about. At all costs, they had to invalidate it so that others would not believe in Jesus. Still not believe. All right? And so they said to tell them, you know, that uh, but I stole them away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears... We will persuade him and secure you. Now, this makes me stop and think, too. Now, these are the chief priests. These are the supposed holy men. These are supposedly the men of God. But here they are lying, and they're bribing, and they're telling other people to go and lie, and that they will, in turn, will lie to the governor. They were content. These so-called priests, these men of God, were content to lie, to perpetuate a lie, but they themselves would be willing to utter from their mouths. That this whole thing was a plot. When I say the word plot, I think of the book I've mentioned to you all before, that in the 60s, 70s, there was a book that was very popular that was called The Passover Plot. And it sold millions of copies, I remember, on bestsellers times, times bestsellers list. And the Passover plot basically said that when they gave Jesus the vinegar, that there was a drug in it, and Jesus really did not die. This book sold millions of copies, and it did, he did not really die, and that our, uh, his friends took him down from the cross, and surely enough, like they're saying here, um, the body was, was stolen away, and the whole thing was a plot. And the name of the book was called The Passover Plot. You see, and so just what they're saying here, someone decided to make a book, and of course it sold millions of copies, you see. But we see the lie. We see the lie, you know. You know? And we know that this lie is something that goes way back, way back to the beginning. The lie goes back to the Garden of Eden, where we know that. Who is at the root of all this is the devil himself, is Satan himself, you know, who tried to, to prevent Jesus uh, from coming. We know that back in the garden, what did he do with Adam and Eve, you see? And then when Jesus came along, every single step of the way, you know, you know, you know through, our, um, through uh, our Herod, tried to have all of the babies that were born around that time frame killed off because they wanted, Herod wanted to kill off Jesus, you know, as a babe and so forth. So the lie just continued, you know, when after Jesus was, uh, um, was baptized by John the Baptist, what did he do? He went into the wilderness and remember the lie that the devil tried to sell to Jesus. You know, if you be the son of God, trying to sow doubt, if you be the son of God, do this. If, if you be the son of God, all through Jesus' ministry, there was the devil that was trying to, to discredit him. You see? You see? Because the devil had an inkling of where this thing was going. He knew that once Jesus got to the cross, that something was going to happen. Uh, the devil is not omniscient like God. He's not all-knowing. All right? But the devil knew that he had to stop the Son of God. And it is still perpetuating through these so-called men of God. These so-called men of God who are so comfortable at lying at any st- at, at any, uh, in any way to stop Jesus and to discredit him. All right? Um, and, okay, and, and I will do governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money, verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, even until the end of the age. And so we see there that Jesus had told them that if you have a red letter Bible, you see that those words are written in red, meaning that Jesus is actually speaking them. And this is the commandment that I mentioned yesterday during the baptism there, that uh, uh, teaching them to uh, observe. Uh, I'm sorry, 19. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. Amen. So these are Jesus' words. And Jesus was seen... You know, even going beyond this, Jesus was seen by, by many, by many others. Uh, go to uh, go to John Go to John 20. John chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary, cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeing the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and, and uh, cometh to Simon Peter and to the, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. You see, now even she was having a faith issue there because she was saying, they took away the, my Lord, our Lord, and we don't know where they laid him. Now, Jesus had told them that he was going to rise. So why is she saying that they took away our Lord? You see, so even she at this point is unsure of exactly what happened. Peter, therefore, went forth and, and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. And so they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying yet went yet uh, yet wet yet went he not in. Sorry. Then cometh down Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeing the linen clothes lying there and the cloth that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple who came first to the sepulchre, and he saw it and believed. For as they yet knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away into their own house. But Mary stood outside of the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him from here, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. In other words, if you've taken Jesus away, the body away, tell me where you've taken him. Jesus said unto her, Mary. 
she, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet descended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father unto my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then came she, came the same, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now here they were, these were the people, the disciples of Jesus now, they were closed up, fearing the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now please underline in that verse there, when the doors were shut. Okay, the doors were shut, so they were locked into this, into this place here. 29 says, And when he had said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now this was in preparation for the book of Acts, for later on in the second chapter of Acts, where they went to the upper room. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands, the print of his nails, and put uh, of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Right. This is where the expression came from, are you a doubting Thomas? Amen, amen, amen. So here he is saying, I will not believe unless I can actually touch him and handle him. Well, if anyone here is saying that I will not believe unless I can touch and handle Jesus, then my soul goes out to you and I pray for you. <laughs> and I pray for you because if you're waiting to believe until you, you can, Jesus might appear before you to touch his hands and so forth, then you're, you're just like doubting Thomas. You see, you know, so we believe because of faith. We believe God's word. You know, we know that God is who he says he is. We know that God is not a man that he should lie. Amen. And that God's word cannot return unto him void. What God has spoken forth will indeed come to pass. Will indeed come to pass. Um, and that I will not believe. Verse 26 says, And after eight days again, his disciples were inside, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut again, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach here, reach here my finger, reach here my, thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach here thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, Jesus saith, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So please put a bracket around verse number 29 or highlight it. Because as it says there, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. You see? So everyone here that, that can believe without having seen Jesus is indeed, God says that you are, you're blessed. You know? And that's what faith is all about. 
The word of God says, hope that is seen is not hope. Amen? Faith, hope that is seen is not hope. You see, so we do not have to see things before us to believe that what the word of God is telling us is true and, and is accurate. And is accurate. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did many other things which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Through his name. Praise God. Praise God. So on this day, on this day, Resurrection Sunday, where we know the circumstances, we know exactly what happened from the gospel record here. Jesus died for our sins. He was resurrected, uh, uh, triumphing over, over uh, uh, sickness and death and giving us the ability to have eternal life. Without Jesus Christ, we would not have this eternal life. So on this Resurrection Sunday, I encourage you all to, to spend some time in between eating of the, the Easter ham and all the other goodies this afternoon to think about what was actually done for you. Think about the price that was paid and how you no longer have to be burdened with, uh, with, with, with worrying, you know, with, uh, with things that may happen in your life. You don't have to be afraid of illness. You don't have to be afraid of, of situations that might arise. Jesus overcame all of that, you know. And whatever is going on in your life right now, while it might seem so, um, so large and so huge, um, it is nothing compared to what lies before you. It is indeed nothing, you know. Jesus died so that we could have eternal life. So that means that after all of this comes to a close on this earth, Whatever it is that God may decide that it's time for you to come home, that you have an eternity that is waiting for you. Amen? And when you think about that, that kind of makes everything that happens on this earth pale by compel in comparison to what, is li- what lies before you. You see? So the work that Jesus did on the cross is so important for us to remember as Christians, as believers, uh, on this particular day. And, and the gospel record goes on to show that it was, uh, it was shown uh, many, many times, over 500, to over 500 people his appearances uh, were made during the time here and as the, as the book here says as the Bible here says that uh, um, not everything that was done by Jesus is written is, has been recorded here amen because it would take volumes and volumes and volumes amen amen so on this resurrection Sunday I urge you to be joyful be jubilant be thankful for what you have, amen, and come Monday morning when the week starts all over again and what we talked about here on Sunday kind of dims into your memory. Do not let it dim into your memory. You know, if you wish to revive it, either play the podcast or simply go to the Bible, amen, to, to review and remember that Jesus died for us, amen. He was resurrected and he was victorious and the victories that he has, he has now passed on to us, amen, amen. Praise God, I pray and I hope that this message has been a blessing to you. And now before we close, let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.